Welcome to the Stacking Slabs podcast. Join Brett to get the latest sports cards investment advice, hear from industry experts that are deep in the trenches, and find out when to turn left when the rest of the market is going right. Get eBay ready, get PayPal ready. Let's be students of the game and stack those slabs. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs. It's the hobby hustle. Turn it up, baby. Turn it up. You know when you leave work on a Friday before we were all locked up? In COVID, and you would hit that song would hit, and you just turn that up. That's what we're doing with Stacking Slabs, baby, your hobby content alternative. I am so excited to bring to you today's conversation. It is with Adam Palmer. Adam Palmer's with Heroes for Sale. You have not opened up a social feed without running into some of his content. He is habitual with posting, and it's really good stuff. I'm in the Star Stock contest with him, and I thought, you know what? It's a really good chance to connect with him and start talking about football cards and opportunities. Before we jump into the conversation, I just wanted to extend a massive thank you to everybody who is a listener of Stacking Slabs and everyone who's engaging with me on Instagram. So overwhelmed this week with everyone sending me messages and responses regarding their displeasure with the grading companies, PSA, BGS, and SGC, and everyone really thanking me for vocalizing my issues and these problems because they're issues and problems that they're having too. So I told everyone, I dropped a video um, yesterday, which would be Thursday. I dropped the video and I just said, hey, everyone, people are doing it. People are starting to post emails and stories. Like if you are doing this, tag me. I'm going to share it. Everyone should be sharing it. We should all get together and rally around sharing these stories because it needs to be us to help tell them that we need more and we expect more as customers. So hit them with the hashtag, do better PSA, do better BGS, do better SGC. And the more we vocalize our displeasure, the quicker of a response we're going to get. We just need to unite around this. We expect more in the hobby. And I'm really, really happy. And it's therapeutic for me that everyone is sharing similar stories. Let's, let's rally around it. Let's, let's get together. Um, the other just bit of news that I dropped a video on this week is Marlon Mack. Sucks. I feel really bad for the kid. He's one of my favorite players. Obviously, I've been talking about him till I'm blue in the face. Go Colts. Um, but I, I just feel bad for the kid. Week one, Achilles injury. He's in his contract year. It's about him as the player. It's not about cards. Um, I'm going to be rooting for him, um, whether it's on the Colts next year or another team. I'm going to sit on his cards because I'm a fan of him. I got a ton of stuff coming back, hopefully. This year, maybe maybe I get my Marlon Mack cards that I sent over to grading when he recovers from his Achilles injury. And I'm not even really joking about that. So I feel bad. My heart goes out to Marlon Mack, and I wish him the best in a speedy recovery. With that being said, let's kick it to Adam Palmer, the hobby hustle conversation. Let's go. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the hobby hustle. I am really excited for today's guest. I want to welcome Adam Palmer, who runs Heroes for Sale. I got to say, I love the name. Ever since it hit my social feed, that has been a good branding name from a content perspective. Um, there is probably nobody else in the hobby that is producing content at the volume of which Adam does. So definitely excited to chop up content with him, talk sports cards. And obviously, we're both members of the uh, Starstock Invitational Football Challenge. So we'll talk about that. Without further ado, how are you doing today, Adam? Phenomenal football. Football's back, and it seems like things are sort of getting back to normal a little bit, which is obviously 
obviously a good thing. Yeah, football is back, and we were chopping it up a little bit before we hit record. How did you spend um, your Sunday with football back and on, and did you do anything sports card related while the football action was happening? So I had like a plan, I guess, going in of how I wanted to, uh, like each, because I, I, I feel like I look at the, the Star Sox Invitational as like, it feel, you know, I'm in, one thing that's interesting is that it feels like when you go on, you look at a player, there's a lot of cards in the vault, but it seems like there aren't as many people aren't selling them right like yet. So that's kind of something that I thought was interesting about that. But then I feel like taking each, each section of games, like take the Thursday game, take the one o'clock games, take the four o'clock games, then the Sunday night games and the Monday night games. I feel like I'm still trying to figure out my process for each of those blocks for, because I feel like, I almost think the psychology of who's me buying and selling during those periods is going to be different. But I mean, I watched, watched the Pats for a little bit, obviously being a Patriots fan, being from Boston, that's kind of, kind of my MO there. And then watched Brady, uh, which was interesting. Didn't look phenomenal, but I think being his first game. And I think, I don't know if people, he's old too. So like, I think that's also a factor. And I mean, the interesting thing that the NFL did, they, and I don't know why they did this or if they did this on purpose, but, the Patriots games and the Tampa Bay Bucks games are in different time slots, 15 out of the 17 weeks this season. So like Patriots fans can watch the Bucks games, which is, and I don't know if they did that on purpose or what the deal was there. Or maybe they were trying to, maybe if Brady isn't good, they're trying to throw it in the Patriots fans faces be like, Hey, Belichick is the guy. Cause I don't know. I'll always be a Brady guy. And it's, I was sad to see him leave, but I don't know. I think he, that's going to be an interesting, interesting team down there with as much talent as they got. Yeah, and so I've been through this rodeo before, and I can hear it in just your response when Peyton left the Colts and went to Denver. It was like, my guy is playing for another team. I was curious, and I still wanted to watch him and root for him, but definitely there was this element of focusing on moving forward and focusing on the team while also rooting for that guy who has, my case at the time, just one Super Bowl in your case. Several Super Bowls, six. So six, but who's counting? <laughs> six, but who is counting? So, I guess we're, we're as a sports fan, like seeing Cam Newton as your quarterback. Obviously, the win helped, but how different was that? Um, not seeing Brady in Patriots uniform uh, yesterday. Well, in one game, let's just put it this way: in one game with Cam Newton, he had the second most rushing attempts in Patriots history by a quarterback. So. I mean, that's obviously very significantly different. I mean, I think, I think you can definitely tell that Belichick knows. I think I'm not 100% sure what, which side Belichick is on here because, like, as a Patriots fan, he's, like, an evil genius to me. Like, he's just so smart. And, he, and I feel like he knows because in the funny narrative that goes on here in Boston is whenever they lose, they, they lost on purpose. Like, they lost on purpose in the Super Bowl to the Eagles because Belichick had a vendetta against Malcolm Butler and he didn't play him. So, like, it's just, it's funny to me that like in the media he has been like yeah Cam he you know he's the hardest worker he's I've never worked I've never played or never coached anybody that's been as hard a worker as Cam and it's like dude Tom Brady was queer for twenty years and he like there was there was a story that came out in um there's a new book that somebody wrote and it's called I think it's called the Dynasty and uh, before the Eagles Super Bowl Brady sliced open his like hand right here. And it's so funny because the reporters asked Belichick about it. And his answer was, well, it's not like it's open heart surgery. And it's like, dude, you could see the bone in Brady's hand. Like that seemed in his throwing hand too. So like, 
it's just funny to see Belichick talk up Cam in a way because I think he knows. I think he knows what he's doing, and I'm going to trust him because he's brought all these Super Bowls. So it's definitely strange, but I, I don't know. I mean, we'll see because the defense isn't. They lost a couple players, so that'll be interesting. So I mean, if whatever happens this year is, I think gravy because like I'm not op- I'm optimistic in the sense that it's the Patriots, but like I don't know who really knows what's going to happen this year. I think it's going to be crazy. Yeah, I I think just to put well, uh, this will be the punctuation point on the Patriots right now because I, as a Colts fan, it's hard for me to open up an episode just talking <laughs> Patriots football, but that's yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, but I think what you see with New England is you see um, at the team adapting to changes. You see Josh McDaniels adapting the offense to fit the needs of Cam Newton. You see Cam Newton thrive in week one playing football the way I hadn't seen Cam Newton play like that in a couple years because, you know, barring injuries and this and that. But I think that is uh, one thing New England seems to always be able to do and get in front of. And it seems like so many other teams lack the ability to be adaptable to who the quarterback is and who the other players on the roster is. So it seems like from a new England Patriots perspective, they're always one step ahead because they're able to adapt quicker than everybody else. For a Colts fan, that is like the nicest thing I've ever heard a Colts fan say about the <laughs> Patriots. So, you know, I really, I appreciate that. And it, I think that's, I mean, I think you're exactly right too. Like that's why in fantasy, I don't like I'll pick, I would pick Brady or Gronk, but I would never pick Edelman or, I mean, even when, uh, Josh Gordon was here. I wouldn't want to have him on my team, but like, because it literally any week, it could be the running backs each have five receptions or it could be all the wide receivers have five receptions and they don't run the ball. So I, but I think with cam, I think it's going to be different where the game plan will be more focused around what he wants to do, where I think with Brady, he was very good. I mean, I don't have to say what Brady's good at, but like <laughs> he was good at just doing whatever. Like, that's what I think Brady was most was best at when he was on the Patriots was, any game plan, you could put him in there and you could say, you're, only, you're passing 10 times to Edelman, you're passing five times to Gronk, and he'd be like, okay, we'll figure that out. But like, I feel with, with Newton, the offense will be more like, hey, here's a couple plays we like. Which one do you like the best? And they're going to kind of morph the gameplay, especially the receivers in this year are not phenomenal, too. So I think that's going to be uh, another kind of interesting wrinkle into that offense. Yeah, the, the Patriots with fantasy and sports cards in general are, I typically don't touch for what you just, yeah, me the reason you just said. I mean, I can look back to the maybe Randy Moss and Wes Welker years right, when yeah. there was just, just the volume of activity on the offensive side was unprecedented. But you're right, it's just, it kind of, it's whoever, it could be anybody's guy every game. So definitely I was excited to kick things off and watch some football. That was fun. Before we maybe dive into more football, I'm definitely curious. I want to dig into your content. I think as it's fun always to talk to other content creators in the hobby, uh, my perspective, I guess here's a quick story. So before I, um, when I, before I started stacking slabs and when I was getting back in the hobby and just, I was doing research and I was evaluating what was out, out there already, what, what were people doing? And I was doing it across all channels and I was just trying to research and understand who are the voices? Who are people saying stuff? And when I went to TikTok, because I, I hadn't been on TikTok, but I was like, you know, maybe I can experiment with TikTok and maybe this can be an opportunity to, if I do do a podcast, it can be an extension of what I'm doing. Well, I hit the hobby hashtag and I saw one person and that was <laughs> you. you. I was like, who in the yeah. hell is this guy? He's like yeah. the only guy that exists. 
So I, I maybe jump off there. Like, what did you find? How long had you been on TikTok? Because it seems like even I look today, you had like several videos at the top of the hobby hashtag. Why'd you jump on TikTok and, and maybe talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, TikTok, whether, whenever this comes out, whether it's banned or it's not banned, like, because there's potentially like it could be banned be to, between when we're recording and when we're not, but like, which I don't know for sure either way, but I feel like it's not going to get banned. But I mean, I don't even know where to start, to be honest. Like, because I got into, because basically how, here's how I started with TikTok was I saw like YouTubers like PewDiePie and like people making these like TikTok cringe compilation videos. And I was watching the videos and I was, they were like, I don't know. I think they were good and that, but they were saying that they were cringe, but I was like, these videos are kind of funny. Like, let me just go check it out. And the crazy thing with TikTok is you can just hop on there and you don't even have to have an account. And if you do, it kind of just starts curating as you like videos. So like, I would say when I, I downloaded TikTok October of 2018 and I used it for like a year and it was like the, probably the most, the app I used the most, like out of any of the entertainment apps. And then it was probably, mm, I would say November of 2019 when I started posting and then I, then I posted this, I posted like basically, I think I, it took me a while to get to like a thousand uh, followers on there. And then I posted one that brought me from like 800 to like 1200. I posted about the Mickey Mantle uh, PSA nine or PSA eight that sold for two, $2.8 million that pe- that is still gets views to this day. And it's absolutely wild. It has, I think it has like 350,000 views, which is my most viewed video on there. But I mean, then after that, it was pretty much just record, like doing any, like it almost, I don't, I don't know if your audience or you know about like esports talk. It's like uh, this guy on YouTube who does all these esports videos about like kind of not like random niche topics, but like that's sort of what I was doing. Like he'll post like four or five videos a day about news that's related to esports. So I was just basically posting and recording four to five videos a day in the, in like the peak of when I was posting. I don't, I I try and be more frequent now, but it's, I, I've been wishy-washy on the band. So I'm like, if it doesn't get banned, maybe I'll go back. And I've also been kind of working on some other stuff. So, I mean, just with the content in general, it's always like changing. Like there was a a two week period where I was big on like Reddit and I was like trying to push Reddit more. And then there's times where it's like, I'll do like gambling stuff and I'll try and push like, um, like action network, which is an app I use to track some of my like bets and stuff like that. So, and, and then, and then recently it's been more Instagram and then the podcast and like the podcast was the thing that really kind of, I guess springboarded the content. Cause it was like, I think that was the time. I, Cause I, what I was trying to do with it essentially was trying to make content that could help people that were getting into the hobby. Essentially that was kind of my whole goals. My goal back in like March, 2018, when I started on Instagram and I think the, the podcast was always, it's cause it had been something I had done in the past. Like I had a podcast like a year or two ago that was just me literally doing what I do on this podcast, but talking about like random sports and like mostly Boston sports. But, um, so it wasn't even my first podcast, but it was, it ended up being one of the staples kind of in the content. So it's, it's, it's a mixture of like TikTok and Instagram and then, and then Twitter. It's just all, I just, I have to get stuff out of my brain sometimes, or either I'll forget, or I'll just go like crazy because if I don't say it out loud and I don't, if for some reason, I don't know what it is. If, if I, if other people don't hear what I have to say, that makes me go crazy sometimes. I don't know if that's a thing that no. most happens with most content creators, but like, that's sort of, sort of my mindset when I'm creating the content. It's, 
it's uh, I was on Mike Summers podcast, the Wax yeah. Pack Hero, and he described the content as like stream of consciousness, which was probably one of the best ways I've heard it described because it's just like my thoughts, and then I just put it out there, and that's just, and then I move on to the next thing. Like that's kind of what I've done with the content, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I think that works, and that's a good description uh, by Mike. I think what I've noticed based on what you do is there's there's no one else that is really hitting the highlights of what's happening in the hobby when it's happening and publishing it out at the pace that you are. So, like, to me, like, you're like the hobby, like, you do a lot of stuff, and you talk about a lot of different angles, but, like, from, like, a hobby reporting perspective, like, I can always go to your TikTok or I can go, you know, to your Instagram or Twitter and figure out what the hell is happening, whether it's new product releases, whether it's um, controversies, any of that related. I feel like you have an ear to the ground on everything that's happening. And I, I do, I think I can agree with what you were saying about just like stream of consciousness and like having something to say. It's like, when I've got something to say, I just want to get it out too. And, and I'm, I'm mostly curious on like, what is the response or the reaction from everyone else? And I think my intentions are similar to yours where it's like, I'm just trying to help. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to, what the content I'm sharing is the market's moving so quickly and people are entering. I just want to be helpful because I want those people in the hobby to stay. So with that being said, there's several different platforms that hobby content creators are on every day. And I'm with you. It kind of ebbs and flows based on um, where I am able to get the best engagement. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. You you mentioned Instagram. Are you, uh, to me, that seems like like the hobby hangout place. It seems like that's where everyone's at right now to share content, get it all out. Do you feel it similarly or differently in terms of just Instagram and the hobby right now? Yeah, I think I, I would say Instagram is where people go to get information. Maybe I think Twitter is more of, I don't know. I, I, I have mixed feelings about Twitter because at times it can be very like not the best place if you're new for the hobby to like kind of get any types of highlights. Cause uh, Twitter, how it works is it's sometimes the content isn't, isn't made essentially to help people. So like sometimes when I will post, like I'll do research and then I'll post the research on Twitter and then I post it to Instagram. If it got any type of traction on Twitter, most of the time, if I then post a more kind of more of a breakdown on Instagram, the post typically does well. Um, I I mean, and then with TikTok, it's like, I, I can't really post any type of research stuff. I pretty much stick to just viral type of hobby stories and like high price cards. Cause that's typically um, the stuff that I'm interested in and the stuff that actually does well. Cause I've, I've, I've noticed there's, I don't know, TikToks, they're all the algorithms and all the social medias are all very interesting about how things kind of get out into the world. And it just seems like there's definitely stuff that I think does better than others. But for me, I think I just want to post whatever. And that's kind of how I've been sort of growing my audience is, is just posting whatever I feel like I want to. And then the people who like all that stuff will like, will like me instead of rather than the kind of the content that I'm posting, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that's a very, very important thing to call out. And just for anyone listening is that I, I'm the exact same way. Like I, I am more concerned about like people who are listening to my content to understand who I am as a person and understand what I care about. And my, my hopes are that 
people, whether they agree with what I say or what I don't all the time, like view me as an authentic, incredible resource because I'm just being myself. And and talking with you here and you know, before we got on here, you are who you are in the videos. So I think yeah, yeah. maybe may, may, may talk about that because that's a, a piece in the hobby that I know a lot of people uh, talk about in small circles and they talk about other content creators and how this person may be not being authentic or not. So maybe talk about just authenticity, what it means to you and just what you see um, in the hobby regarding it. So, you know, I think as of right now, I kind of view what I'm doing sort of as like a business in a way, like that's kind of why I, I'll stay away from certain topics that I know are like hot button issues at times on like Twitter or on Instagram, because like, you know, although my, I think my opinion does matter and it doesn't at the same time. So like, that's why, and also just doing a podcast every single day is like, you sometimes you'll say stuff and then later that day, you're like, yeah, maybe that wasn't correct what I said, or like, Maybe I actually, I, and actually there's tons of times in the podcast where I'll literally say something and I'll be like, you know what, actually, I don't think that's what I meant to say. And I'll try and fix it that way. So like, I, I don't know, there are times where I feel like I can just, I, there are definitely times on the podcast and during interviews where sometimes I'll just ramble on about like whatever. And I definitely catch myself doing that on the podcast more often than not. 99% of what's on the internet isn't real. So like, I think that's kind of, an interesting thing coming from someone who has a business that runs on the internet. So like, I think if you go on Instagram or you go, cause you know, this weekend you probably saw it or last, last weekend, depending on when you're listening to this, you saw everybody posting about their Devonte Adams cards and about their Jacoby Jacobs. Is that his name? The running back for Las Vegas? Oh, Josh Jacobs. Yeah. Josh Jacobs. Yeah. Or I mean, any number of players that had a good game and they have a huge stack, but you're not, you're not going to see, the people like I haven't seen many very I haven't seen very many Baker Mayfield posts as of the past right. few months, which right. you know I think with a new coach I want to give him this year. If he's not good after this year, all I will officially be able to say he's not good. But if he has a decent year, I don't know. It's confusing. But like I just think that you're not going to see you're only seeing highlights on like social media and stuff like that. So that's why sometimes in content like when I posted about that I sold one of my soccer cards for twenty five hundred dollars. And then like three weeks later, it was worth 10 grand. I was like, well, yeah, it's sure. Maybe I didn't, that, that money that I lost was there, but like I, I, it happens. And I want to be, make sure that other people know that like, you're going to sell almost every single card. If the player's good, you're selling too soon. So I think when it comes to authenticity, like it, it, it's a kind of a combination of just like wanting to do it that way, I guess. And then also just kind of, saying what my thoughts are and not kind of altering what I'm saying based off of what I've seen other people say sort of. Yeah. Yeah. And I I'm with you on the, um, I, I tend to try not to chase peaks on the card because typically, yeah, definitely not, you know, cause typically like if I'm selling cards, like I, there's a moment in time that there's a reason why I want to sell them. And I try to have rules of thumb, right? Two X, three X return. If they're going to get me that don't be greedy. And typically I'm looking for the capital that, so then I can go put that into another card, right? And it's a timing thing because a card might not be there in a week and it's sitting there right now. So that causes me to take action and sell something, even though I know that if 
like a Jason Tatum, right? I had a Jason Tatum PSA 10 that I, I sold right before the playoffs. And at the time, I don't even want to look at the price now because at the time it was an all-time sale for what I sold right. it at. But I knew like my instincts told me that Boston um, was going to make it to the finals and that they still might not. But, um, and so I know that card has grown, but I took that money and went and put it into Kyler Murray cards. And then we saw what Kyler Murray did this week. So like, what are your, like, how do you operate? You mentioned the soccer card, but when it comes to selling cards and what do you do with the money? Do you have a strategy? Does it change as, as different things are happening? What's your take on that? If you were buying any cards last summer, you probably doubled or tripled your money almost on any card. So like, cause even, even players that didn't play well it, during the regular season for the NBA probably went up if they were on one of the bubble teams. Like, so you could have even bought, you could have been buying low, at the low. I don't, I don't know any examples, but I'm just, I'm just saying kind of in general, you probably could have, but like a lot of the sales that I was recently doing actually are going towards my wedding, which you may or may not have happened by the time that this comes out. If it's coming out on Friday, then that's actually when I'm, I'm getting married this Friday. So, uh, congrats. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> thanks. Um, uh, basically, all the money that I made on cards based from last year, I actually went towards the wedding. So, and I mean that it's really, it's crazy how much that actually helped in the, in the big scheme of everything. Cause like, I mean, it was a lot of like random stuff that I was buying last summer. Like even like it was, there was some Shaq stuff, Kobe. I mean, a lot of soccer, there was like rather random basketball stuff that I bought that, basically went into, went from my PayPal to my bank account that was paying for stuff for the wedding, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then other than that, I mean, like, cause once I, once I get back from the honeymoon and everything, that's when I'm probably going to start looking into maybe buying a little bit more. Cause we'll be in the middle basically, or at least I don't know if the NBA finals will still be going on in October or not, but then I'll probably be looking into sets and figuring out like, cause that was in March. I was doing a lot more of that. Like when sports were going on, so like select in that, in, in this specific example, I was looking at select basketball as like an undervalued set that I really liked. And I was buying Donovan Mitchell select PSA tens for 25 to $30 a piece. And I sold all of them during the playoffs for $120 a piece essentially. So like, I mean, I was right, I guess there, but like I said, you could have, you could have bought any card really. And it could, it was going to go up like, that's kind of why I haven't talked as much about me being correct about a lot of different mm-hmm. kind of calls of cards that I made. Cause like the market as a whole has kind of gone up pretty significantly. So that's why like, I'll talk about it on the podcast, but like in content on Instagram or Twitter, I kind of, I don't post it as much because I, because whenever I see people talking about how they bought all these cards and they went up by double, it's like, yeah, well that's what the whole market did. So <laughs> right. like, I mean, you could have bought anything and any, everything essentially went up like, except for like Baker, like that. Was, and actually Baker sort of did went up a little bit. He was back up to like a hundred and hundred dollars, I think for his PSA tens, but they were at the end of last season, they were like 50, 60 bucks, which is, I, I mean, I don't, I don't mean to keep going on Baker, but I'm just using him as an example. Like, there's probably going to be other players like him in the future. And I think maybe people should, people should be a little bit more, more careful. Cause like think about how much hype Baker had and how much money people were spending on him. And now it's, you can still sell the cards, but like not for, not for what you could have. Totally. Yeah. And I think, yeah, that is interesting. And I, I, I get that. And especially on the NBA side, although 
people, you know, I've heard this, like I'm reading, open up Twitter, open up Instagram. And it seems like people are running for the hills because they say the NBA market is crashing. I think it's just seasonal. That market is going to be up again when everyone's playing again and they're going to be back at it in a short time. And I think the Donovan Mitchell example I like because you didn't say like, I bought a bunch of Donovan Mitchell prism PSA 10s. You said select. And I think products matter a lot and it matters when you're getting into them. And I think I'm seeing that with the football set for select right now from last year. I think it came out in February where all the mar- everyone's go- jumping into football now, right? And that's why they say basketball is shrinking and people are buying football because people are there. The games are happening and people want to treat it like DFS and um, kind of take advantage of all these market dynamics. Um, but everyone's talking about Prism, right? And these Prism cards and all the lift on the Prism lift on like a guy like Hollywood Brown, who I was, I was buying for like, you know, five bucks, six bucks a pop in June. And now it's like $35. And so I, then I look and I go into like the select product and it's maturing, but it's not quite there. So maybe like talk about like how you look at product lines when you're either doing content or you're making purchasing decisions yourself. Sure. So, I mean, with that specific example, I actually was, I was sitting at my desk work before everybody started working from home. And I was, this was like towards, towards the end of the day. Don't, uh, tell the people that I work with that I did this, but <laughs> I was sitting there and I, I pulled up, um, I used Luca and Trey as like a base example. And I took like, at the time, I don't remember what the prices were, but I took, uh, Luca's, uh, prism select hoops, Don Russ and optic PSA tens and Raws, And I compared all the pricing. And then I did the same thing with Trey young. And I found what the percentage was of, and I mean, I think this is actually a decent way to do it. I, I don't know. It's not, I've done it a few times and it's worked most of the time, but I don't know if it's foolproof, but here was basically here was the strategy. So I took the price of the select card for Luca compared to his prism card. And then I went to other, other players and like Tatum was another example. I bought one of his, I think I bought it for 90 and I sold it for 350. And the reason was because I looked at the Luca prism versus the select. And I think there was like a at the time, I think it was a 42% difference in price and the Tatum and the Donovan Mitchells were like at 25, I forget if the percentage would be bigger or smaller, but it was, it was a percentage that was farther away. Like I think at the time, Prisms were 90 and then the Selects I think were 25. So that percentage gap, I said, even if Prism cards for him stay at $90, that Select card should be more valuable just based off of Luca's percentage and Trey's percentage. And it just happened that ended up being that the prism card also went up. So like that kind of, that's kind of when you see a little bit of a snowballing effect where one card goes up and the other card that should have already been higher in prices even more because of the, the research, I guess. And it was the same with Tatum. I think at the time Tatum was like 250 for a prism PSA 10 and the select was 90. So like I looked at that percentage and I said that should be closer. Even if his prism card doesn't go up, that select versus prism should be closer. So like that's kind of where that's kind of how I'm thinking about it when I'm trying to find sets that are cheaper, like undervalued. And I think the term undervalued is kind of overused in the hobby when it <laughs> comes to like people talking about cards that they own. Anybody that has a cheap card, it's an undervalued card. It's not, it's not cheap. It's undervalued. But like, that's kind of how I viewed the select set uh, when I was buying the Tatums and the Mitchells back in March. 
Yeah, that's, man, I think, so I jumped back in the hobby in March and I did what everyone else is doing or that I'm observing people are doing that are entering the hobby and they're going and buying the the Prisms first, PSA 10. And that's what I did. All those guys you just mentioned, uh, Mitchell, Tatum, all PSA 10s. And then I sold them for all about three X a piece once the bubble play is starting. What I really wish I would have done is instead of focus on Prism, focus on Select and buy, buy the Donovan Mitchell for 25 bucks a pop because I probably, I would have known in hindsight, I probably would have bought 20 of those cards. Right, because- <laughs> exactly. I bought, I, bought so- seven, I bought seven of them. But, and that actually stemmed because I was trying to buy a loot. Actually, it's another select example. Perfect, another perfect example. I was trying to buy the, the select, like 203, I think is the number, like the, the short printed version of the select card for Luca, PSA 10 at the time, was $300, which that was, I was, I was wildly correct about that because that card now is like a $3,000 card essentially. Mm-hmm. So, like, because I was going to buy that specific one, there was, they don't sell very often. So, at the time, I was going to buy the one that was in an auction and I got bid up at the last second. So I had like that, the funds essentially, I think it was 300 at the time. So like I had $300 where I was like, I sold a bunch of stuff to buy this Luca. So now that I can't buy the Luca, I'll just try to find other stuff. And that's sort of where the select kind of, uh, again, I guess I'll use the snowball. It kind of where it was like, I wanted to buy the Luca select that wasn't available. So I'll look for other players to select. Cause I think that's a set that's I like select and I like the design of select sometimes in some cases, the 2017 design is one of my favorite hobby designs. So like uh, the Tatum and uh, Mitchell were two mm-hmm. cards that when I got them, I was like, I almost don't even want to sell this card. Cause this, this is like a really nice card. Yeah, no, I think the aesthetics on select, uh, especially with the football product too, I, I'm all about, I think the cards are cooler. Um, they're, they look great. Maybe we can talk about just like, population, scarcity, base versus serial numbered cards. What's your thoughts and approach? Like I've been sharing, like my mindset has been like my evolution in the hobby has been like, get my feet wet, buy a bunch of base cards, um, sell them at the right time. And then when I get the monies, I don't want to buy base cards anymore. I'm like more interested in buying some serial numbered cards because of the scarcity element. And I think it's like, maybe not like, necessarily like I think the market is going to crash and the serial number cards are going to be help me mitigate risk more but it's more like I don't know it's like I feel like I've got something more special knowing that there's 99 copies of these and I've got a PSA 10 and how many PSA 10s can there be right now maybe 25 so I think like how do you factor in like population the craze of the prism base cards with um, buying serial numbered cards or investing in serial numbered cards. What are your thoughts there? Sure. I think, I think a population report is definitely something that it's probably one of my most frequently used pieces of information that I'm looking up other than price, obviously. But another decent example that I think, uh, was I was buying, I like particularly, I like the Bowman baseball rookie card PSA 10. So like, like I, uh, I bought a, Cody Bellinger, I think it was. And I bought that card because it was similar to the other concept that I was using with like percentages where I said that uh, I looked at Ronald Acuna's prices and I said there are X amount of his PSA 10 tops update rookies. And then same, then there's X amount of his 
Bowman rookies. And then I looked at Bellinger and I kind of looked at percentages there. So, I mean, I would definitely say population report. I mean, I think the thing about population report is that it, it matters for some cards. And then for some cards, it just doesn't matter at all. Like I think like for, I mean, perfect example is Luca. It clearly the Luca population report doesn't matter because I, I think Tyler uh, and Lou and Ryan card collector Two talk about this on their podcast all the time. That if, if there's, these are not hypothetical numbers. If like 5 million people are fans of Luca and they want to buy a, a Luca PSA 10 prism. And I don't think that's the actual number, but say there's five, 5 million or whatever. That means that there's only 12,000, which there could be 15,000 at this point. I haven't checked them just off of mm-hmm. the last time that I checked. That's different than if like there are a thousand, and this is again, a thousand Trey Young collectors and there's, there's 5,000 Trey Young PSA 10s. That matters where like vintage, you're looking at it and you're saying the population report is the only thing that matters, I think, with vintage. But like with modern, it kind of matters on how big the player is versus like how many there are. So like in some cases like Luca, where he's like a global superstar and I think he's one of the best players in the league, that 15,000 PSA 10 population report doesn't matter as much as like, um, I mean, any, like, I, I don't know, like a Troy Brown Jr. from the Wizards. Like, I don't know what his PSA 10 report is, but I can't imagine, I can't imagine the PSA 10 is the disparity between fans of who want PSA 10 of his cards versus like Luca. Yeah. And so with that being said, and I agree, and like, there's an element, you look at what Luca is doing and where his, you know, it's dipped a little bit since they've exited the playoffs, but let's just say there is 12,000 PSA 10s and his card, you know, is at, you know, let's just say $1,200 right now. That's pretty strong. And I think that speaks to what you just mentioned about like just the amount of Luca fans there are globally. And so I guess Although that example might be a little atypical, I think Luca transcends kind of the hobby. And so it's important for new people as they come in to understand that maybe not, maybe like looking at Luca and the growth of Luca might not be the best example. Although I keep freaking using that PSA 10 as the example to compare anything else. Yeah, I do as well. It's hard not to. And I don't know if it's an element of ever like, you can't talk. I've not, I've listened to a ton of hobby podcasts, listen to them every day. And I've not heard one person like talk disparagingly about Luca because everyone thinks he's like, has the potential to be kind of like the next transcendent player in the NBA. So I think, I guess like with that Luca example, with like base cards, like people jumping in the hobby and buying base cards, what do you tell people in terms of like, or informing people in terms of like direction of strategy when they're jumping in and they, they're looking to invest and they're looking to make some money so they can continue to buy cards. Like what direction do you give people when people are sending you DMs? My two rules for if when, when I started out, uh, I didn't follow these rules and I wish I had, are to start small, whether that's the money that you're spending or that's the player you're looking to buy or the set you're looking to buy. If you try, like I tried to do this and it didn't work at all. And that's why I had to switch kind of learning about everything was if you just try and dive into every single NBA player's cards, you're not going to be able to figure it out at all. Because like, especially with the, with the landscape and how basketball cards specifically have changed since, I mean, even the early nineties, like there's just been so many different sets that it's super confusing. And then other, other than that example, it would be buy what you like to buy because 
I found that times when I bought cards because I saw profit or I saw like a, a margin where I could buy and sell it when I didn't, I'd also didn't realize that the cards that where I was looking at weren't selling very often either. So this was like when I first started getting into it, uh, when you, and you get stuck with the cards, it's like, now I have a bunch of random Corbin Burns autographs. Like, I don't which granted he's like a second or third year pitcher for the Brewers and he may or may not be good. But like, I was buying like random autographs of his cause I saw they were selling for X amount. And then, and then there was one up for this amount, but I didn't realize that no one else wants Corbin Burns autographs. So like, even though I had three of them or four of them or however many I bought, I'm not going to disclose that, but <laughs> no one else wanted them. So like I, I ended up just having to sell them at like, I maybe lost money on fees or whatever, but like, that's just kind of, uh, those are my two top, my best tips. And then a third one that I want to start adding is that you have to make sure you have a budget. Uh, because I think, I think what's going to happen is it's going to get harder to like buy and sell cards. Like, either that's regulation started coming in or that's just the market's smarter or that cards aren't Luca cards aren't going from $50 last summer to 2000. Again, like I don't think that's ever going to happen. So like the money that you are putting into it has to be, you have to make sure that you're not overspending on either money that you don't have or cards that are kind of maybe more of a risk. Like if you're buying vintage basketball or any type of older stuff, overpaying is better but like if you're, I wouldn't be overpaying for anything modern because the chances are there will be an auction that's probably ending for that exact card in 20 minutes. So like, I wouldn't really worry about, just make sure you're sticking to a budget. That's kind of a third one that I'm sort of trying to add. here. I love that. And I'll just touch on two of those examples. So I'm definitely feeling the pain of overextending myself. And it's a kind of a hybrid. It was a, I buy, I'm buying it because I like the player, but I also thought he was super undervalued. And that was Marlon Mack. I bought a ton of them and then he, then he went down week one with an Achilles injury and now he's on a contract year and I feel terrible for the guy. And, but I, I might not ever see him in a Colts uniform again, but now I'm stuck with all this Marlon Mack um, cards, but, and it just happens and you just kind of got to go with it some of the times and you're going to take L's. It's just, it's just part of it. But the, the other thing that you touched on is just budget and I'm dropping an episode that will have dropped on Wednesday when we're talking right now about building a budget, especially with football, because I'd love to get your thoughts on this, but you know, with football cards, you, I think about my normal Sunday and I think about before I got back in the hobby, my normal Sunday consisted of obviously getting ready for the Colts game. It consisted of, it consisted of checking my year long fantasy league and that obviously there's money tied to that. And then it was, all right, all the research I've done on DFS, set those DFS lineups and then go look at the sports book, place my few parlays or my head-to-head matchups that I like, and then now it's time to watch the games. Well, that is expensive and typically outside of the year-long fantasy stuff, I had fun when I was up a little bit on the others, but inevitably I'd always lose my ass and I'd be out the money and then by week eight, quick week eight, I'd be done with DFS or I'd be done with sports betting or maybe both. And now sports cards are involved. And I, I like was very proud of myself yesterday where I had invested all this money in sports cards and I had a strategy of, all right, if these certain players pop off, Devontae Adams, one of them, because I thought he was super undervalued when I was buying him up in June, July timeframe. And he had a monster game. So I listed a bunch of Devontae Adams in a 24 hour sale. And so I am trying to be profitable on Sundays as opposed to taking L's in tournaments in DFS or 
parlays that are overly ambitious in sports books. But with that, I'm trying to set a like weekly budget for sports cards. And I feel like after one week, I've got a little more control over it than I do than I did before without sports cards. Do you have any thoughts or opinions? Are you going through stuff similarly? I'd love to hear your thoughts on just DFS, betting and sports cards and Sundays. Definitely. I mean, I think this year is the first year we've seen the market be as reactive as it has been. I think in the past, it's been a little bit more passive where cards, and I think this is how it's going to go. I'm pretty sure. I'm not 100% sure. Like we haven't fully seen it yet with anything crazy, but like I think we're going to see like a Thursday night where like the second or third string wide receiver, he scores a 75 yard touchdown pass and his prism card goes from a 50 cents to nine, 10, 11, maybe even 20 bucks. Like, I think that's something that's going to happen eventually. And I think that this is the first, this is the first football season. We've really seen the market do that because like I said, I think we saw it um, when Andrew Luck retired, that was obviously probably devastating for you. Uh, I was at the game. Yeah. Not to, not to put a knife in the wound there. Sorry about that. But I like, that was a good example. Yeah. That was the first time I've really seen the market react. What happened with Jacoby Brissett cards and you know, Jacoby Brissett is from new England and he won a super bowl here and he played when Tom Brady was in or not. uh, Oh, he was suspended. That's right. When he was suspended. So like I have a good mem, I have good memories of Jacoby Brissett, but like for people to then kind of, jump in and just start buying all these Jacoby Brissett cards seemed a little bit crazy to me, but it, I think that's just what's going to happen with the market. Like, and I mean, right now we don't necessarily have a Jonathan Taylor card. That's like, there's optic and Don Russ cards. I think that are out right now, but I don't think there aren't any prism hasn't come out this year yet. So like for that example, like we may have seen something like that happen again, happen again with Jonathan Taylor, which I think he's already a pretty hyped up prospect I'd say, but like, I think you're going to see probably that example where maybe the starting running back gets hurt and then the backup running back goes from maybe a 50 cent card to a $5 card. So, I mean, I think that's sort of my thoughts on how I think the season is going to go. And I, the, the, the budget part of it kind of comes from the sports gambling uh, that I've done in the past. And I think I've been pretty lucky where I've hit like a bunch of like the first, um, I think two weeks that I got that I ever placed a bet. It was, I put in like a five team college parlay and I put in five bucks and I won 120 bucks. And I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm a genius. Like, this is the best. <laughs> Why isn't everybody else doing this? How can they not pick five teams? And it's like, then I put in another, I put in three parlays the next week and I lost all of them. I'm like, okay, so now, now I understand why people aren't doing parlays. So I, I, I don't put in as many parlays anymore, but like a lot of the budget, I did get kind of lucky because a lot of the budget that I have from sports gambling, which I'm, I think I'm lucky in the sense that like in my account, I put in $50 to start and I've never, I've never put in any more money into the, into the account that I use for sports, for sports betting. So like, that's good. And I mean, it's basically just when I get down to like 30, $40 in my account, I then have to go like one to $2 games rather than like a five to $10 game. So I don't, yeah, right. Exactly. And the, even if I like I found that anytime I really like a game, it's probably one of the worst bets you could make. If I'm really liking a sports betting sports cards, a little bit different because there's times where that's been the opposite. But I think with the betting and the daily fantasy and sports cards, I think as we see like a star, like star stock, or we see like com C or some of these other websites that have these big databases of cards, like I think you are going to start seeing 
like I think a, I think a good example, a prediction that I have for one of these companies is that eventually some tech company or some casino company or some someone's going to acquire one of these companies and they're going to build the like craziest hobby thing we've ever seen. I think, and that's like because I think. It's something I, I don't remember if I said this on somebody else's podcast, my own podcast, but I think eventually we will see sports cards in casinos. Like you'll see like either people doing box breaks or you'll see, you can go and you can buy packs and then you'll, and then this is kind of along the same lines of maybe a casino buys one of these companies. You'll be able to just open the pack and then you'll be able to give them the cards back and they'll just give you a credit or something like that. So, mm. I mean, it's all kind of very beginner stuff, like concepts, but like, I think, like Starstock, I think is doing a really good job and uh, not just because I'm in the, in the contest, but I think they're doing a really good job with rookie cards because the one thing that I think can get confusing with like eBay or Com C is that they just have like every card of that player mm-hmm. where Starstock only has rookie cards. So I think that is a, that's kind of a big deal when it comes to someone getting into it. Once we see the pricing of cards kind of start getting a little bit closer, that's when I think we're going to start to see huge strides for like Starstock and Comp C because I think they're a little bit over what you could buy on eBay. But the fact that you can buy and sell and you never have to hold the actual card is like, it's, I I don't know. It's not really revolutionary because it's been done before, but I think it's as people start getting better at that concept, that's when we're going to start to see that industry grow kind of, I think exponentially of even where we're at now. Yeah, I like that idea. And I don't think we're, if the market keeps operating the way it is, I don't think we're too far from it. Maybe we close out with this. We talked about Starstock and the Invitational Football Championship, both that we are a part of, which is super fun. I will say getting $500 and being told to spend it across you know, their database was a bit of a challenge. And the approach I kind of took was, all right, let me put the money into younger players that I believe have a high upside based on what I'm forecasting their performance to be this year. So, you know, Kyler Murray, I've been investing in him in a while. Guys like uh, Terry McLaurin, Marquise Brown, those are the types of guys I went after. But I honestly, like, I'm still trying to figure out, like, when do I sell these guys or do I hold them? So I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out, right? So I'm curious just when you were going into it when the money got hit your account. What was your thought process on how you distribute those monies across their database of rookies? Sure. So a beginning strategy, I'm not sure if I mentioned this at the beginning or if I mentioned it before the show, but the one strategy that I want that I've that the concept that I come up with, but I haven't really implemented because it's only been week one is like trying to figure out each block of games. Like, is there somebody in that block of games that could see an increase in their card prices. I think I've also been using strength of schedule as like another kind of big indicator of kind of where I want to buy some cards. Like, and, and also I, I started a spreadsheet actually of like the player and then when I want to sell, because it's another kind of thing. It's like discipline. It's like if hypothetically, I mean, one of the cards I bought was Alan Robinson. So say he goes off next week and I don't think he did phenomenally this week. I don't remember off the top of my head, but say, say he goes off. Like I want to have a plan of what I want to do with that card. Like if it go, if it doubles, like that's probably, that's maybe where I want to sell it. But then if you look at, like you were saying, younger players where, you know, another, or like backup running backs, I guess would be another kind mm-hmm. of example of players that may be cheaper that if they get into the starting lineup, uh, 
that could help their cards or, I mean, it could hurt because if they're not good, like that's obviously, you know, that's not, that's obviously bad. But uh, I mean, I think like you said, I think I'm still trying to figure it out for sure as well. And I think each week I'm going to try and keep track of what my thought process is and then maybe go back and see where there were some successes and some failures. But I, like you said, I'm still, I'm still trying to figure it out as well. I think it's, you don't really know. Cause it was, it was like, it was kind of the same when I had that, bought that Luca or was going to buy that Luca card. I had the money and I'm like, well now what do I do? And it couldn't, I couldn't buy the thing that I wanted. So like now I, and then I just went into just doing more research. So that's kind of using a bunch of different fantasy tools like ESPN and fantasy pros and like book fantasy footballers and all those kind of people and looking at their content and seeing who has been the most successful at gauging fantasy fantasy points or success or however you want to put it. And then maybe buying cards there. Cause like, I mean, a guy like Jonathan Taylor, there aren't really any cards. I don't think on Starstock's website yet, but it just depends on when people send them in and then if they want to sell them or if they want to just keep them in their vault. So it's really, it's a, mm-hmm. it's definitely been interesting so far. And I, I've only think I made like two sales so far, which I think I bought, I bought a couple Will Fullers for six fifty, and I sold them for nine. So that was nice. like a, that was pretty good. And then the rest of the cards, I kind of just sitting on for now and seeing exactly like where, when I want to sell them and when I think the best opportunity to sell them is going to be. Yeah. The, the sales, I think we're all still trying to figure this out. And the sales component is uh, the timing on it. While I mentioned before, I don't try to chase the peaks in this contest. It's kind of, that's kind of the, the goal. You got to chase the peaks yeah. so you get money. So um, it's definitely fun. Um, and it's been a blast talking with you. I know you're freaking everywhere, but where can people find you? Why don't you tell everyone so they can hit follow if they're not already? Sure. So there's the Heroes for Sale podcast. That's on Spotify and iTunes. Uh, there is Instagram, Heroes for Sale, and it's, it's all of the places are spelled the same. It's H-E-R-O-S-F-O-R-S-A-L-E. Uh, I just want to make sure I spell that right. Uh, so there's Instagram, there's Twitter, uh, TikTok, uh, YouTube. I haven't been as active on YouTube. I, I, I was kind of like, I wasn't going at it the full way. So I wanted to focus my energy on something else. So you, YouTube is there. There are some YouTube videos, but nothing crazy. Reddit. I have a subreddit. It's just r slash heroes for sale. Um, been posting some content, posting some memes on there, kind of trying to figure out what exactly what I want to do with that. I, I, those are pretty much the main places, but the main, the main, main place is this podcast. So it's here, the heroes for sale podcast. It's on iTunes and Spotify. He's everywhere. Every, oh, I got to ask you before we sign off, talk, talk to me about the name. How did the name come up? Because I totally get it and it resonates for me. So just the branding and the name as a marketer, I'd love to hear more. Sure. So it's actually the name of the card shop that I went to as a kid that is no longer there. So it was Heroes for Sale was next to the Dairy Queen. Uh, and I would go with like my grandparents and my parents. We'd go to Dairy Queen and then we'd go over to the card shop and either grab some Pokemon cards or baseball or basketball or whatever I was into at the time. So that's where it all started. And actually, and that wasn't the original name. The original name was uh, Two by Three Designs. And then I realized that, oh, actually a card isn't two by three. It's two and a half by three and a half. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to come up with a whole new name because it probably is going to be easier than, yeah, my name, the, the podcast is the two and a half by three and a half podcast. <laughs> like, and, and I probably wanted to just kind of get a fresh start there. So, and also because when I originally started doing content, it was all about card designs and then the heroes for sale kind of, it kind of, I can, it's not super deep, but it's like, you can kind of mix in sales stuff and then just regular hobby stuff. So. 
that's where the name came from. It's pretty cool. Totally. I love hearing the backstory of that and a little bit of nostalgia in there, which always makes the hobby a little more fun. Adam, this was a blast. We'll have to have you on when we're in maybe like week eight or nearing towards the end and we can see if uh, we've pulled our hair out yet or who's up on the uh, star stock contest, but thanks so much for your time. Definitely. Thanks for having me on. Man, that was a ton of fun. Adam has a lot to say, and there is a lot on that man's mind. And yes, it is a stream of consciousness and respect the game on him hitting the channels and how habitual he is with his content. I had a ton of fun with that. And by the way, congrats to you, Adam. Congrats on the marriage ahead, which is happening today, the way the episode drops. That's incredible. Thanks for sharing the stage with me on your wedding week. I wish you the best, my friend but I'm coming after you in the Starstock Invitational Football Championship. You already know. If you like what you heard, hit the subscribe button. Follow me across all social channels. Happy collecting, happy investing. I wish you the best for your NFL team, unless they're playing the Colts. That means you all, Vikings fans. Wish you the best. Take it easy, everyone.